All right, welcome to Re-Engage. I'm Jimmy G. On tonight's episode, we're going to do a deep dive into the psychology of losing your mind. That's not what we should do. Listen, Greg, <laughs> I'll do this however I want, okay? So just, just back off. I've asked you not to interrupt me. I'll do this and host this the way I want to. You get emotional and I'll get emotional. You guys, you guys, you guys. You're right. Of course you're right. I'm sorry. We're not mad at each other, guys. <laughs> Your mom and dads are all happy and in love with each other. We were just brilliantly reacting a scene from tonight's episode. <laughs> Entitled Sarah. Anyways, welcome to Reengage, where we rewatch TNG, a show we loved when we were younger. And now we re-engage with episode by episode to see if it holds up to older eyes. Tonight, we re-engage with season three, episode 23, Sarek, or Sarek, depending on what cast is doing the talking. Let's say hello to our re-engage bridge crew, my first scene mate, Greg Tito. How you doing? Doing all right. I wasn't sure when to jump in, and I just started to... It's a, it's a kind of went to pretty far i wanted to yell i wanted to yell with you i think that was fun <laughs> all right miss kate how you doing i am doing fantastic uh, i am sitting here in the heat of seattle uh but in the cool of your presence so i'm feeling mm. uh overall like mild in temperature like they they sort of cancel each other out tepid tepid i'm super tepid that may have helped the cold opening right there. Thank you. <laughs> Our final square here is the one and only Mr. Eric Curry. How are you doing, Mr. Curry? And circle gets the square. Thank you, Jimmy G. I cannot wait to talk about the OG dad issues, Vulcan himself, Sarek, with y'all, my cultural bridge officer friends. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we are at star date 43917. Point four, that's air date, week of May 14th, 1990. Greg, what was happening? So on May 15th, the day after this aired, some events were continuing in the singing revolution I mentioned last time about the Baltic states going against the USSR rule. And in Estonia, one of those, there was a pro-Soviet movement uh, that tried to take power on that day, on May 15th, storming a government building. Sounds a little bit familiar. But a radio station said that that group was forming. They didn't have any weapons, thankfully. And local Estonians came to put down that pro-Soviet demonstration. Uh, so things are continuing to happen in the fall of the USSR. Uh, also on May 15th, Portrait of Dr. Gachet by Vincent Van Gogh sold for $82.5 million. That is the portrait um, that some people erroneously attribute to being a self-portrait of Vincent Van Gogh himself. Uh, you may have noticed it with the, with the blue hat and whatnot. I love that piece. Mm -hmm. $82 million. You guys want to want to buy that? <laughs> uh, I'd rather have that than the not than a non fungible token. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, you want to be fungible whenever you can. A couple days after this aired on the seventeenth of May, nineteen ninety, Kelsey Grammer was sentenced to jail for thirty days for a DWI. Good. It wouldn't be his last, I don't think. Uh, but happier news uh, and uh, at least more progressive on May seventeenth. The World Health Organization, the WHO, that has been uh, talked about so many times uh, for other reasons, but they removed homosexuality from its list of diseases on May 17th, 1990. Uh, wow. I remember that, though. I remember that because it was fodder that I was able to use. Like, I was, you know, a little revolutionary when I was a kiddo and raised religiously and and my family was you know very progressive but we went to a church that wasn't and that was one of like the big things that i could use to like back up my homosexuality is not a choice you know and it's not a disease and it's not and yes you are right that happened in 1990 and that's so fucking backwards uh at least for you know at this period we're like hey things are things are on the upward swing that's good wow kelsey grammar and bigotry, all in one history segment. It's awesome. <laughs> Kate, can you sing us out of this doldrum? Yes. Well, yet again, Sinead O'Connor holds the number one for Nothing Compares to You. And so I went to our modern rock list, and guess who holds the number one there? 
Sinead O'Connor, but this oh. time for the song Emperor's New Clothes, uh, which mm. no one will remember. Mm-mm. But at the end, she just repeats over and over again, the Emperor's New Clothes, sort of in her Irish brogue. Pretty Woman continues to be at the top on the movies. Uh, in Broadway news, Cemetery Club opened at the Brooks Atkinson Theater for 56 performances. It's a, it's a play about uh, widows going to the cemetery uh and i'm sure there are (laughs) funny times and sad times um speaking of sad times two very notable deaths one of which affected me very personally um not personally but like emotionally sammy davis jr passed as well as jim henson passed uh that week and i remember the jim henson i mean to this day the moment i get a tickle in my throat i'm like go to the go to the doctor just fucking go there figure it out because that death was so shocking and too soon, right? Like he and was way was... too soon. I, I had us, I had us all happy again, and then I, I, I brought <laughs> us back right down. Back down. I just brought us right back <laughs> down. Right what back the down. fuck is wrong with me? The Emperor Snake Klaus. <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right, on to the creative side. Director Les Lando, whole bunch of Trekverse credits. Twenty-two with TNG, DS9, Enterprise, Voyager. He did some Dark Angel, but I think his crowning achievement might be director of the TNG interactive VHS board game. What? Cutting edge stuff. I want to play that immediately. Wow. Let's play that. Uh, you can get it on eBay for 99 cents uh, plus $20 shipping. Plus however much a VCR costs. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. So we have our writer, Peter S. Beagle. This is the only TNG uh, credit I found for him. Uh, but he has lots of other credits ranging from uh, novels, nonfiction, poetry, opera, librettos, uh, songs, and screenplays in that last category. He has credit for uh, The Last Unicorn, uh, a story chronicling the extinction of uh, sea turtles, of course, and the 1978 <laughs> screenplay for Lord of the Rings. Oh, the, oh. the Ralph Bakshi one? The cartoon one. I don't know. Wow, yeah, yeah. Is. is that it? Or I know that he movie. hates to have his uh, plates chipped, though. <laughs> that Bilbo That's Baggins. what Bilbo Baggins hates. <laughs> Our story was submitted by one Mr. Mark Cushman. This is also his only TNG credit. If you don't know of him, you would be forgiven. But let me run through a couple of his titles and maybe they might be familiar to you. He is best known for his X-rated musicals, which include My Bear Lady, (laughs) Swinging in the Rain, uh, and parodies such as Lust in America, Shagnet, All That Sex, and the 1990 Sex Trek which was very popular in my fraternity house. (laughs) And my personal fave, Sheets of San Francisco. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Among his many pseudonames, all of which uh, are plays on Bunny, he has the names Mark Cashman, Frank Marks, Bill Dollars, and Penny Nichols. So maybe now you might understand Cushman's work. Uh, And if you want to explore it, you can go to his IMDb page, which has 866 credits. All but one of them are explicitly sex-related titles. What? (laughs) Except for this one? This is the only episode? It's the only one I could find. And in fact, that one, I couldn't even find it because I just... You scroll with 866, you're scrolling and scrolling, and they're all just like uh, Sheets of San Francisco, Sex Trek. All of them are plays on sexual puns and things that you've already wow. seen. <laughs> so kudos to uh, TNG for stepping outside the box on this one. I'd like to read the original spec of that and like, <laughs> just see how much they had to bear what down. What he had Sarek doing. Karen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the Larry Nemesic files, there's quite a few bullet points there for tonight. So we start off with Mark Leonard, who played Sarek. He was originally supposed to be uh, have his return in yesterday's Enterprise, but he was written out. So this is actually the second character from the TOS verse who has been brought into TNG, the first being uh, McCoy on that very first episode of Farpoint where they just walked down the corridor. So this is supposed to be his, uh, he was, should have been his second return. 
Instead, it's his first. And of course, he was in the 1967 episode Journey to Babel. The original story idea for this was supposed to be another ambassador that was with him is suffering from uh, mental illness. And then as they started playing around with the script, they decided they wanted it to be the, uh, the effects of anger relating from that. They then came up with the idea, well, let's make this a Vulcan specific disease and then they totally change it's like well since we're doing that it has to be Sarek who is suffering from all of that and thankful for us they did that because it really it played in well rather than him being an onlooker to that spock is mentioned in the episode um if you remember by picard during that mind meld phase but he's mentioned in past tense at that point they must not have known for sure if leonard nimoy would be rejoining they had to sort of gloss over that because we do not only see spock but Sarek come back in season five for unification where we also get to see uh denise crosby return as uh, commander sella i think her name is Riker shares with Picard in that same corridor walk that Sarek was a big part of the Klingon negotiations that eased tension between the Klingons and the Federation. And if you recall, Riva was also a big part of that very same negotiation. So that was our deaf character who came back for the negotiations on Loud as a Whisper, not Sound of Silence. That's a Simon Garfunkel song, you may remember. Uh, also a great title, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and in one of the several ready room scenes in this episode, you may have noticed there's like a little scroll sort of thing draped on Picard's chair. And this is the scroll that he got from the Mintakins from Who Watches the Watchers. So they gave him that uh, for his work. And this is the first time we actually see it in the background. That's interesting. Like he's like showing his uh, di uh, diplomatic bona fides there by, right. by being like, look, remember, he's done it before. Right. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. He's subtly saying, hey, you know, I've, I've done some stuff too. Just in case <laughs> and then finally, in case there are any classical music fans out there, we know that we were listening to Mozart, but there is a little bit of a goof there because the first part that we hear is actually Mozart and it's the string quartet number 19 in C major known as the dissonant, of course. But the second one is actually a piece by Brahms and it's from the sextet number one in B flat major, of course. Oops. Of course. <laughs> uh, and that's it from the Nimbusic Files. Eric, talk to us about these guest stars. Oh, my goodness. I would really love to. I'm going to concentrate on the four today, and we're going to skip John H. Francis, who was the science crew man that, that Miles O'Brien was throwing down with. But, you know, I saw you, John. Good work. <laughs> we'll move on to William Dennis, who was Kai Aloysius Mendrosen, who had a really interesting career he he did 10 things and then went off and got his phd in chemical engineering and has been kind of working that field for a while but the th <laughs> but, but the things that he did were things to do in denver when you're dead also perfect strangers uh, just the 10 of us recurring growing pains new heart the golden girls and then suddenly nothing like all of that in a three-year period and then he's like fuck it I'm going to go back to school. I understand. But at that point, student debt was already becoming a thing. So like, okay, dude. So moving on, we get to Sakath, who is played by Rocco Sisto, who's one of my new favorite actors, not only because of the name Rocco Sisto being so perfect, but this dude was in some of my favorite movies and gave some of my favorite performances. And I never had any idea he was the same dude. So you get to like... Uh, Carlito's way and he's an unnamed Panama hat man but I fucking love him I know Jimmy remembers Donnie Brasco oh yeah and he played Richie Gazzo you know hey how you doing pal the Florida guy that yeah who has to he has to basically kick his ass and then he just treats him like such shit for an ongoing number of scenes he's truly wonderful in that he did a ton of he's done a ton of television he's still working now recurring on special victims unit as one of the many judges he was the lead in quills off broadway which they made into the movie which of course they recast with uh, movie star jeffrey rush but he got a drama desk nomination uh for that one uh on stage really a fantastic performance fantastic actor go ahead greg in my stage management career i worked with rocco he oh you did was the captain in Bill Irwin's Harlequin studies uh, when they did oh. Bill Irwin's season at uh, the signature. At the signature, right? sure. And, and they so worked together was... in something else. 
Dill yeah, they, they had done a bunch together, yeah. Commedia dell'arte uh, kind of stuff. Yeah. And he was great. He's just such a nice dude, always willing to talk about his role in Donnie Brasco and how he got that. And oh. uh, as well as I had oh, just Wright, worked on who something. Had done, um, <laughs> uh, who was the writer of Quills. And I did Quills in college right. with my uh, friends. So I we had that connection and, and, and uh, knew about it. And he was... Um, not happy, let's say, that Jeffrey Rush got that role instead of him. Oh, sure. He's like, it's just, it's really so hard. He was in the development of Quills. And so he said, yeah. he said basically like it was hard watching this trailer of someone who was giving lines that I wrote. Uh, it was really frustrating for him. But he was a wonderful guy and super fun and always a giving straight man as he was in that Harlequin Studies thing. He never, he never broke once. And as soon as I saw him in this, I was like, oh my God, it's Rocco. Oh, he was so good. Yeah. Well, that's great. I'm loving hearing all of that stuff. As a physical actor myself, I, I am so impressed with his career. I, I just, I'm I'm blown away that he's all these different performances that I have enjoyed all these years. We move on from his terrific performance to Perrin, played by the great Joanna Miles, who I know we all saw in her Emmy-winning performance as Laura in The Glass Menagerie in that 1973 TV version with Sam Waterston, uh, Michael Moriarty, and the great Catherine Hepburn. She wor has worked, you know, nonstop since then, uh, giving some really, really fantastic performances in, in everything from, like, Judge Dredd <laughs> to ER to, you know, less great stuff like Willing to Kill, the Texas cheerleader story. She just never, ever stopped working. She played Gertrude in that great movie version of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Really, everything that I've seen her in throughout, you know, my uh, walking around through TV Guide has been truly wonderful. I'm a fan. If you can track down any of the early stuff she was doing in things like uh, Mannix and uh, <laughs> The Edge of Night, and young Dr. Kildare, like look up that stuff in addition to the things that we've all already seen. Like if you have not seen that Glass Menagerie production, you you really need to go out and see it. It's it's really a wonder. We leave with the aforementioned Sarek, a really fantastic actor, Mark Leonard. He did a ton of stage. All of these, except that I can see William Dennis, are stage actors, possibly even you could say primarily, because William Dennis, as we know, is primarily a chemical engineer. Mark Leonard holds uh, a distinction of having been in all the original series movies, except for Wrath of Khan. He's in the original motion picture as an unnamed Klingon captain, and then plays Sarek in three four, five, and six. In addition to the the episodes of Next Generation and the episode of the original series, it's really a, a long ongoing gig for him. He had a really amazing career, but but certainly knew that he was best known for uh, Sarek. But if you go back in his stuff around the same time, you'll see an awful lot of additional uh, sci-fi stuff with the Secret Empire, Buck Rogers in the 25th century, which everybody, of course, loves. The Incredible Hulk, uh, then you get to How the West Was Won. You get to Planet of the Apes. Uh, if you guys haven't seen QB7 uh, with... Um... Anthony Hopkins, he's the narrator uh, in that miniseries, and I really recommend it. It's such a strange fucking thing, and as <laughs> Nazis become, unfortunately, more relevant again, it's always worth taking a look at the things that show us how we beat them. Mission Impossible, Here Come the Brides. Even before Star Trek, he was on the soap opera Another World and had his film debut in The Greatest Story Ever Told as Balthazar the Magician. His final credit was a version of The Boys of Autumn, which is that play about Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer having grown up and the, the hijinks they get into as old men in the autumn of their lives, you might say. And it was him and Walter Koenig touring the United States in that show for years and so that's it for mark leonard a terrific lineup of guest stars in this episode thanks everybody all right let's crack this baby open we start off with the enterprise ferrying ambassador sarek to a very important conference uh we get a nice little walk to the transporter room uh where we get some backstory on sarek from Riker. uh that's where we learn about him being a top negotiator for the Federation Klingon peace negotiations. And we get a bit more personal backstory from Picard. And Picard drops a little nugget that he was, he met Sarek uh, while he was attending Sarek's son's wedding. 
but he never mentions the name of that son. So, Kate, here's your chance to make some canon. I love canon. What son was getting married? I did wonder because it was sort of left over. I, I, I mean, dare we say there was an a, a unknown Spock wedding? I, I dare say it. I dare say it. Yeah, I'm letting you write the canon. So it's canon. It's Spock canon. got married. Spock got done knotted up. Did he share his father's proclivity for humans, or <laughs> did he keep it in uh, the Vulcans? He married species? Uhura, like everyone knows. Right? <laughs> he right. married Uhura. That's right. <laughs> that's a different, different. Timeline. It's a Kelvin. It's a Kelvin uh, canon. Some Kelvin so I guess canon. it was. It could have been Cybok, right? Or was that it could have been his or... other brother. Yeah, the crazy one. I have to say, I love the way that. What about Ted? Yeah, what about Ted? No one ever talks about Ted. Ted the Vulcan. He's like the other other Hemsworth brother, the one that everyone's like, there's another one. I don't know. The Daniel Baldwin of Helmsworths. I love how Picard and Riker are absolutely fanboying out about Sarek. And it's like, well, I have a story too. Did you know this story? And then I was like, and how they like literally say that they were tongue tied around him. It's just, it's kind of cool because it fits with the Sarek backstory, but it also fits with having such a cool guest star, right? Like I have to imagine there was some like, oh my gosh, we get to actually work. This is awesome. Yeah, I dig that. Yeah, and it sets him up for, for what's about to happen too with them being so goo-goo about him, it may give a little bit of legitimacy as to why the people around him do what they do. Yeah. All right, so Parker, uh, Parker, <laughs> that's what I'm calling <laughs> Riker and Picard now. Um, <laughs> just, Love it. That's Love their it. Uh, couple's name. So They uh, look good. They look good together in their dresses. They look dresses. good, dude. They would have some nice-looking kids. <laughs> so Parker arrives at uh, the transporter room at the exact <laughs> moment that the delegation is ready to beam aboard or they were waiting for them to get there, which was very rude. When the delegation arrives immediately, we see that there's, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're coddling Sarek, his, his two guys, Sacketh and Kai. And the very first thing that hit me, because when Kai, he's in Vulcan attire, and I thought, oh, did they run out of pointy ears in the costume <laughs> department? Because he doesn't have any, uh, so I went to Memory Alpha, but in fact, he is a human. And what do you guys think about this, the, the sort of coddling of Sarek right away? My favorite part is how bummed everyone is about this concert. <laughs> but we had planned a concert. Yeah, no, Picard's... Yeah, like, Picard's furious about it. Riker even mentions it again, which Riker was so sad, I was envisioning there'd be harps there because I was like, there's gotta be some reason. I've experienced this before with slightly famous people that I've worked with, where you meet their manager beforehand who's like, you need to make sure to do this, this, don't do that, don't do that, don't, and then you meet the person and they're like, oh, whatever the fuck, don't don't worry about what they just said. Oh, I'm so embarrassed by it. You know, but like that kind of management on the front end is so intriguing. Uh, and once we do get to the concert, there's like nine seats in the audience. It was a very... So it's very exclusive, exclusive guest list. <laughs> so against the wishes of his staff, Sarek uh, insists that he goes and immediately see the conference room, which actually looked more like a shuttle bay with a big stink pit in it. But that's not the oddest thing. Sarek loses his cool. Like he gets upset that there's, it doesn't seem as prepared as he would like it to be. And when he's leaving, he's not pleased with the color of the wall. He's like, this is he's too like, bright. A couple of snaps like this is ugly. <laughs> I mean, a little bit of foreboding. He's already very uncharacterly uh, non Vulcan in his response. And it seems like there is some artwork up on the walls. Like they definitely did, you know, the the Enterprise crew is meant, you're meant to believe that they did some some dolling up to this area. So it's not like it oh, wasn't prepared. Yeah. And were they just not listening to Sarek? Like, it seems like a little bit like he's, he's upset that they made it look so nice. They ignored his directives to make it look more sparse. Or is that him just changing tracks? Right? I was, it was hard to tell whether or not he had actually given those directives earlier or if mm. he's shifting, right? And so that's yeah, what I, I feel like he's goalpost moving. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought too. Oh, see, I felt like it was more they were just in process. And it was right. like, right. no, dude, we'll get there. <clears throat> like, right. calm. Because they keep, everyone keeps saying to him, like, well, maybe we'll let them get back to their work and everything's going to be fine. Uh, but we can't ignore the very beginning of this scene, Greg Tito, where we learn 
that our Wesley Crusher has a date. Okay, that's all I have to say. Oh, that's right. just learn that our Wesley Crusher has a date. It's going to come in later. So it's important to mention now that our boy is is growing up. He had the guts to ask someone out. And Jordy's like, good job. You know, high five. I can't ask anyone out. (laughs) And shake. On the bridge, Picard is talking about how Sarek seems so together for... a man 200 plus years in the Nat Troy suggestion. Picard goes to Sarek's cabin to invite Perrin, his wife, to the Mozart concert with the hopes that then Sarek will come along. They can't give up this fucking concert. Deanna mentions it too. They sold all nine seats. All nine seats were sold. <laughs> I feel like maybe it's a fundraiser or something. <laughs> they just gotta make sure to hit their goal. It took Data 16 hours to manually program each each of these 300 violin virtuosos in. We got to use it. I have to say, when he gets to the quarters, Sarek's quarters, he rings the doorbell and she has this moment where they allow her just this sigh. And then she opens the door. And I was like, first of all, that is me. Anytime somebody comes to the door, I'm just like, sigh. But it also like is such a great like character building moment where she knows something like that, oh. that she dreads that visit, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. she's going to have to keep him isolated, perhaps. I don't know. That's what that's I'm, it's canon. No, that's good. I like it. It's exhausting caring for people yeah. and putting up a kind of facade that it's not. It is wonderful to see that when we don't know yet what the issue is. Also, it's exhausting when someone interrupts when you're changing up your flower presentations. <laughs> because Come you on, don't just give like... me the moments I need to put these flowers the way that I want them to. So be. much anger. Hey, I know you saw the Lucille Ball movie. You understand about flower arranging and how it fucks people over. <laughs> okay, well, that's for that's for a very small a very number small of people. people. <laughs> yes. Parent immediately tells Picard, you know, sorry, Sarah, is a meditation. We can't interrupt him. Picard extends his invitation. She, you know, doesn't say I. He's like, thank you. I'd love to come. As soon as I can, I'll ask Sarek if he wants to come. Picard's like, that's cool. That's all I can ask for. I'm not going to give you pressure that uh, this is for charity because that's now canon. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> if you don't come, we probably have to space a couple people. If you hate kids, I guess you won't be coming, <laughs> no, right. but that's all right. Picard takes off and Perrin immediately goes in to interrupt the meditating, which, of course, Sarek is not only he's not meditating, but he hasn't been able to meditate for some time. Which is another hmm moment. Us as the audience are getting these clues well ahead of the crew uh, that something is not quite right with Sarek. And then back at the shuttle bay conference room, we get our first real taste of the nastiness is going on because Jordy and Wesley almost come to blows before Riker sticks his puffed up chest in between them and breaks it all up. So we, <laughs> we got to talk about this fight. There are some I mean, low blows yes, in this fight. It's exactly. such a sloppy, messy bitch fight. I love, <laughs> love it. it. My favorite is Wesley being like, well, at least I don't need to make my girlfriends on the internet. On, in, in the yeah. internet oh, yeah. In the but also- Wesley, I got to say, gets gets the rotten end of a lot of shit in this episode. Yes. Like but he's still a bit- child. Because it's countered with the compared to you, every man on this ship is an expert when it comes to women. Like, yikes. Virgin shaming. I hadn't thought about that. But here's the big question is, we know Sarek's bursts of psychic energy, uh, anger is what's prompting this. But that doesn't mean it's making people say things that they don't think or feel, right? Like, Mm. this is some, some truth throwing, like. Some shit is being said that obviously was in their minds. And now they're saying some pretty horrible things to one another. I mean, is this canon? Well, it reminds me a little bit like that irrational kind of anger where I have to remember sometimes that I am not my thoughts, right? I'm not my first thought. I'm my second thought or my third Mm, thought like that comes after that. Because, but that's, it's there, right? I think you're right. It's on the surface of like, at least you're not, at least I'm not a virgin, virgin. Right. (laughs) Just because you think it doesn't necessarily mean you feel it or that's. But it's, it is, it's intense. Right. There's no resolution though, either for, for either this one or the one with, with, with uh, uh, Dr. Crusher and Wesley too. They're just like, they just kind of gloss over it. I mean, like, did they make up? Did they say like, Hey, I was in a 
bad spades because of a Cyric psychic energy. I, I was being psychic bombed. <laughs> I both love the fact that we never get to see the aliens who will live in that 150 degree Celsius Me goo, too. but I'm also very sad that we don't get to see right the race that lives in that 150 degree celsius goo that's stinky that's by stinky. wesley's estimation mick fleetwood is in that goo aliens <laughs> long, long time fan of the show long time fan of the show mick fleetwood so Sarek does in fact go to the mozart concert where we now know it wasn't all mozart a little bit of brahms in there and we get a one tear cry which for most characters is a parlor trick but it's very alarming for a Vulcan character. Did this impact you? Did you buy it? The one tear cry? There's a great storytelling device that they domino where first thing that happens is, oh gosh, the, the his personal sense uh, assistant sucks. Sucketh? <laughs> sucketh? Sucketh? Yes, yes, sucketh. Sucketh? He sucketh. Suddenly sort of like he does this head, you know, move and Troy clocks it, right? Like, so like he senses something and then Troy senses him sensing something. And then Picard sees the tear. Like, it's just this lovely little like domino effect of we see it happen before it actually happens, which I really like. I like that. It's just almost, you know, three minutes of non talking but with so many storytelling moments, like you're mentioning, Kate, like it's it's it was a really nice way to do visual storytelling from the director and the performers. I bought it. I bought it. And just so you know, audience, uh, Sucketh is a character that was a character written by Penny Nichols, <laughs> <laughs> Mark Cashman's version of Sex Trek. <laughs> Sucketh. There's also a sequel to that called Sex Trek: The Next Penetration. No, there <laughs> is not. Of course, there is. The morning after the mashup concert, uh, Wesley is summoned to sick bay. Don't go, Wesley. Don't go. Where Beverly. And grills him about why he didn't attend. And this scene ends in what many fans, uh, me most of all, feel is one of the best scenes in TNG history where Wesley gets Bev slapped. <laughs> just, yeah, just one right across the cheeks. So it's one of these moments where you know that a regular character is never going to forget it. Like you just saw a right. moment that that character is going to remember for the rest of their lives. Right. And that's uh, probably why he leaves to become a traveler. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was the, that was the moment. I like uh, Gates McFadden's whole thing, po whole thing, obviously, but her <laughs> posture here when he's coming in is like, Oh, he's going to get a dressing down. And you know that from the, from, from just the way she's got her back turned to him. It's so amazing in the in the non-dialogue uh, storytelling here. I was like, ooh, it's going to happen. And then when you see it all unfold, you're like, mm, yeah, that, I, we've all... Right. We've all had that kind of scolding from from a parent. Well, and it's interesting, uh, Greg, because I agree. It was, it was a great visual with her drinking that mm -hmm. tea. However, in the in the follow up scene where she goes to visit Troy and she explains to him, she passes it off, or at least from my my opinion, the way she told the story was she didn't understand why she lost her cool, but she seemed angry when like she had already she summoned was already him. Already like, angry. The anger was already yeah. there. That she slapped him is probably a surprise, but. Like she called him there wanting a fight. It wasn't like out of the blue that uh, that that confrontation happened. I sort of took that as I don't know why I instigated the entire thing. You mm -hmm. know, like the slap especially. But Right. And we had to see that scene just so we could learn. This has been happening all over the ship. At least 10 of their instances. We had a little nugget of it when uh, at, at the concert entrance when Worf and Riker show up together and, you know, they're talking about the insubordination from an unnamed, you know, uh, an unseen character who's never been insubordinate before. It's like, oh, all these little clues. Uh, and then we get a taste like when we're at Tent Ford and there's a little bit of trouble brewing between O'Brien and the aforementioned science officer that we didn't dive into, uh, his big career but we don't get see that fight right away we then go to beverly and troy talking and we come back Riker and Worf uh, together again a lot of time together uh, i wonder if that makes parker jealous uh, they come into 10 Ford and there is a full-on brawl going on 
they do not jump into the fray right away. They they have to pause for a moment for Worf to give a witty little one-liner, and then they jump into the fight. Riker gets knocked out, it looks like. They show him getting punched and uh, falling down, and the next time we see him is after everything's being cleared up. I love this scene. Eric, what did you think about this giant fight scene? I think it helps that you try and get it all in one shot. That you try and get everything that's happening in a wide shot and not concentrate on very much. Because then you can just have lots of arms and legs going all over the place and having nothing really happening. But I'm for it. There's a full on though. They take a guy's head and smash it into the bar. <laughs> and they take another guy and pick him up and smash him into a table. I hope it's the unnamed uh, science officer guy himself that is the subject of both of those. I, I didn't uh, see, but I'm like, you really need to give this guy his full treatment if you're going to not even give him a name while he's arguing with Jordy. The blonde lady. That's right. my favorite, where she like kind of reels up and like punches somebody in the stomach and the gun. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, yeah, good old fashioned western. It was a western. Did anybody notice who punched Riker? Yeah, I think it was a no name person. I think it was just one of the crew. It should have been Jordy or somebody. That would have been tasty. <laughs> and the wharfs right. got like two people who are like holding him like at the end. And they're like, we're fighting. Yeah, now. but that's kind of what I mean. Like you don't have individual moves with Worf and those two guys. You just see Worf and those two guys are going at it, going through it as the camera moves on to these other folks. It's, it's really right. fun. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. It's a long shot. Did anyone else just think it was like, of course it's O'Brien. It seems like such a stereotype yeah. that of course he's <laughs> the one who has to like be the one starting the brawl. I don't know what you mean about that. <laughs> Maybe we should ask the emperor. <laughs> the science officer started it. But the science officer, the actor is Welsh, so it's still like the uh, Irish versus <laughs> versus right. the other Celtish right. people. Yeah, that makes it okay. <clears throat> and then after that, the, the cleanup scene is great because it looks like like after Roadhouse, like they turn on the the lights are all like bright, lights. cold lighting. <laughs> like, yes. It was dark during the brawl, or like the lights are d definitely dimmed, and then we come back and it's like, okay, party's over. Yep. It's two a.m. Yeah. Clean up <laughs> the scene of everyone you know, like you don't from have Animal to... House cleaning up yeah. the uh, the broken right. cutlery. In the in the back, you just hear closing time. <laughs> right. One last right. call for alcohol. Guinan yep. is not there at all, which is probably for the best. I know it wouldn't happen if Guinan yeah. was there. She would just did her little fingers at them, and everything would have stopped. No, Sarah would have come on board, and she'd have gone. Dude has this disease. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a plot hole right there. <laughs> Episode over. Yeah, get him in hand. So after the brawl, uh, the crew who is like, hey, there's crazy shit happening. And they piece it together and they quickly come to uh, the hypothesis that, uh, you know, this all started happening when Sarah came aboard. And then Beverly, like, you know, I've been doing some research on the interwebs and I found this thing called Bendy disease. And it only <laughs> you know, hits Vulcans when they're old and it makes them lose control. This is all kind of adding up. Maybe this is happening. And McCarr's like, yeah, that's it. All of that stuff. Canon. Let's try to fix this shit. Let's go on WebMD. So immediately, yeah, he goes to the next scene. We're in his writing room with the human his uh, Sarek's chief of staff, uh, Kai. And Kai doesn't want to hear any of this shit. He's like, mm-mm, nope, this ain't true. Stop it. And if you care about your career, you're not going to press this anymore. That was cold. Yeah. Right? Like, to be like, if you care about your career, you better clear this up. Like, wh who is this right. guy? Like, what is he? No. And I was like, yeah, I was like, you do not threaten Picard because you know what he's going to do? He's going to call Data. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime a human could die or the career is in trouble, it's like send the android because he won't make us feel guilty about it. <laughs> I just love seeing Picard so completely lose that argument. That guy gives yeah. all of the right answers and it's so political and so like, you know, specifically meant to make Picard, you know, feel gaslit. And then on top of that, like the threatening his career, I, I just, it's so great. It's, we rarely see him in that position. Yeah, you know, now that you mentioned, I am, I'm really happy that they didn't give him any lines there to like counteract it or, because they could easily give him a great line or two where he's like, you know, I can handle my own, but they don't. He sort of acquiesces like, all right, no, no, I won't, uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to press it that way, but then he finds a, immediately finds another avenue. Like, okay, I'm not going to give up, but let me send the Android. <laughs> and I didn't put it together, but Data must have reported that Succoth 
had said something along <laughs> the lines of, what, <laughs> what are we going to do if Sarek can't suck it? It's like, where's Parker? <laughs> so I thought it was going to be something like you said, Jimmy, like, oh, he doesn't have emotion. So he's the one we can trust in this moment. But it is probably that he had given a report earlier on uh, and wanted to follow up on that report. I think it's probably a little bit of both because mm. he had some information. And if you're going to send somebody to debate with a Vulcan, send somebody who naturally interacts the way a Vulcan would with without emotion. So he's he's not going to argue from an emotion. He's going to argue from logic. Like, And that's exactly what he does and how he convinces Sack. If, in pretty short order, you know, does this fit your idea of logic to serve the Federation in your mission or to serve somebody you know yeah. sick? And the the logical response is no i should uh, i should tell you what's going on and he does he lets him know that he's been uh Sakif has been psychically protecting Sarek um and has been successful up until this point when the stress of this 93 year build up to uh what may finally be the culmination of that it, with these negotiations it's he's just going off the rails Sarek is. my question and maybe this is my ignorance here but like since when did Vulcans become psychoactive characters who per- shoot their emotions out into the world? This episode, scanning. Well, I mean, I guess you could argue that they, since they do the mind meld, mm. they can do that with anybody. That there's all there's always been in the canon some amount of psychic ability, but as far as I can remember, there's never been anything where it's like it can project out. <laughs> ship wide and randomly glom on to certain people like it that seems to be a new aspect yeah it seems like almost like a, a plot based thing that they should have explored a little bit more is this the oldest kind of by far vulcan that we've met it's interesting to think about yes i think so you mean Sarek? because he was already super old the first time back in the original series spock would have been old by human standards when he entered into his starfleet days because they you know they're much much longer lifespan and they only take one student at a time so like he could afford to wait (laughs) (laughs) it's a nice uh circle back thank you and this is yet another reason why they're space elves we finally get the Riker picard or excuse me parker bombs (laughs) and this is sort of comeuppance for them because picard made the big mistake of like i and others have not been affected by this by Sarek's psychic bombing. So you kind of knew, he was like, all right, you're going to get it. Jinx. And he does. Picard and Riker have a little screaming match on the bridge in front of everybody. And all the kids are a little, you know, a bird. They're a little scared of what's happening. Mom and dad are fighting. Yeah. Dad and dad are angry at each other, guys. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Gotta send in Data. He's the number three, right? I don't know how you guys read this scene, but at the end, Picard has the lines where he's like, of course you're right. Like he comes down He's like, I'm going to go talk to him. I feel like Riker does not come down out of the anger. Like, he is puffed chest and staring at Picard as he walks. I was like, it's not going away. He might carry that on for a His few hours. His dander is definitely still up by the end of it, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I just have to note, this is another Star Trek acid party clip, which is the, don't you tell me what to do, is used as a transition from like some other weird ass thing to some other thing. And then all you get is this exclamation from Picard in the middle of it. And I love it. How many times from beginning to end have you watched the full Star Trek acid party? Crap? I'm going to go with 10. That's hot. <laughs> yeah. Good work. It's a thing you just can't have on in the background. Hell yeah, it is. Said. It's great. It's super fun. Like, don't you tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Picard goes to see Sarek and to tell him about, you know, this is what we think is going on. And at first, Sarek brilliantly deconstructs Picard's argument uh, and sort of throws it back at him. But Picard keeps pressing on, uh, and eventually he gets Sarek to crack by losing his temper. Really nice acting moment. I mean, for both of them, of course, but Sarek losing his temper is really nice. And now he has, he can't even lie to himself. Now he knows there's something wrong. They immediately come up with the idea, you know what we should do? Mind meld. <laughs> that should be with the captain of the Federation's flagship because nobody else will do. We can't have anybody stand in, but thank God they didn't because, whoo, do we get a great scene from that. Uh, but I mean, this scene where he confronts them, anything, any takeaways there? That final moment, that just, it, it, it would be illogical for a Vulcan to show emotion. Illogical. And when he just starts screaming, illogical, illogical, like it just gives right. us a little preview of what's to come. But it's, it's, really lovely watching these two really accomplished actors play this chess match during this because you're right at that at first 
it's a, a parrying, you know, I'm going to change metaphors here, but it's, it's a, a, you know, they're, they're back and forth and they're stepping and it's in here and they're, oh, you think that, but what about this? Aha. Until, yeah, until we get to that ending where there is, as you said, no denying it. And it's really lovely to watch that arc. Well, and they knew writing it that it was going to be this feeling of, you know, when they send everybody out, it's also to the audience, like we're going to get rid of all these other characters and give you a scene that you wanted, which was these two guys. And there's that feeling of expectation that builds in us that they know that these two actors are capable of taking that feeling and moving forward with. So it's it's a comfortable scene to watch as an audience member, which is neat. And I like that the, all the artifice is gone when they get hmm. alone, right? Right. It's not Sarek as being a husband to his wife. It's not Sarek as being a mentor to Sakath. It's not even chief of like all those relationships are stripped away. And it's just what is the mission and can that be successful now? And when confronted with that is when he breaks. Like that's when he's like, it's a logical, it's a and and you're like, oh, yeah, dude, you you just proved it. Yeah, you're you're fucked up, man. <laughs> and I think that's what breaks Sarek is that he he finally admits it to himself that it is not. Uh, gonna be a success so he sort of resists at first for the mind meld because it's super dangerous and a vulcan losing control of his emotions is something that a human might not be able to withstand the card acknowledges the risks but says we should do it anyways bev is there to i feel like it's on the holodeck or something like that because i've never seen i was gonna say they're in the black box theater yeah (laughs) it feels very much like the original motion picture i think the director tried to evoke a little bit of that cinematicness when they do mind melds in those original movies there's low lighting there's lots of focus pulling and things like that and i I think the director was trying to mimic it and it works here because it does feel different than the rest of the series does. That dives us into the meatiest scene of the episode, I think. And it may be Stuart's Hamlet because in this scene, Stuart brilliantly walks through the character of Picard through every emotion, all of the emotions. And it ends with a two-tier cry. Two tears we get from Patrick Stewart, not just the one. <laughs> you know, this is Sir Patrick Stewart. I mean, this is, I mean, he got his honorific because of his acting chops and everything he's given to that world. And holy shit, it's on display in this scene. Anybody want to disagree? No disagreeing, for sure. You know I want to, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> this- I, there's a moment in his monologue where he starts angry and then laughs and then cries and then stutters and then moves on to the next thing. And it's like, it's just delightful to watch. Like he takes you right along with him. You have no idea what he's thinking and it doesn't matter because you find times in your own life where you're in the same situation. Like it's just, it's so, you're right, Jimmy. It's so good. And the way, and you listing it that way, it's almost if somebody was like, yo, I dare you. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do all these things. And he's like, motherfucker, done. That's how I've always felt like we just passed the anniversary of losing Philip Seymour Hoffman. And like, I always felt that way about Jamie in uh, Long Day's Journey into Night. I'm like, there is not a believable way to scream, laugh and cry over the space of like six words like he has to over and over and over. And then I saw Philip Seymour Hoffman do it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it wasn't a joke. Yeah. Like there are three actors at any given time who can actually play this role. And I'm getting to see one. Like it's unbelievable yeah. when it is something like that. And yeah, this is a, a lovely moment. I saw that same production with uh, Brian Denny. Even yeah. Grave. This monologue going back to, to, to this scene definitely reminds me of some of those uh, Shakespearean, King Lear kind of like mm-hmm. madness type of, of monologues where they go from one emotion to the next. It almost yeah. felt Suzuki in, in how he changes his, his whole body and demeanor uh, with each change of these emotions. And I wish I had a little bit more storytelling here other than just being like, I don't know. I don't know the context of where these emotions are coming from in this scene. Oh, really? Because I think he, he mentions how much he loves Spock. And how he wished he could have shown more affection toward his wife and how he wanted to give her more and he didn't. So, I mean, I'm not arguing with you, but there is, we do see 
or learn more about Sarek in that monologue and, and how he feels about some of the closer people. We certainly him, do. I just I wish thought. I wish that was just more of what the story was about, right? Like I feel like this is just getting a short snippet of of Sarek's emotional life without exploring it, right? It just being like, here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. And then see, our sci-fi thing is done now. But I love that. Mm. I love yeah, because it is, uh, it is the jumbled thoughts of someone and the violence that can happen in your own mind yeah. when mental illness takes over or when depression takes over or when there's just forces that are there that seem that one thought crashes into another and the tumble of it doesn't make sense externally necessarily, but the internal runs through. And I just, I, I find it very effective. We're seeing it in our family now and uh, it doesn't ever seem to make sense. It's just that losing one's mind in the things they say and the way that they act, they seem incoherent to us. But that scene, I, I agree with Kate 100%. Glad it wasn't coherent because then that would have been too writery. Like you're, you're showing me a madness, but making it perfectly clear and, and setting up the story rather than the story is it's mad and it doesn't make sense. I mean, not to just to, to say you're wrong, but just like uh, that you're not right. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I acknowledge everything you're saying. I just wish the episode was more about Sarek than it was than than it is currently. Mm. Right. The story is about the Enterprise trying yeah, to yeah, deal with, with this him. problem of Sarek's emotions yeah. in a very like, yeah, oh, it's done. Sure. We've we've solved the problem. But Sarek still has all these emotions and has not dealt with how to express right. them in a way that is healthy. And I wish that was what the episode was more about. Or it made me at least want to be like, hey, let's go back to this character and explore what's happening yeah. here with his son, with his, with his wife and all that a little bit more. People will literally give Picard psychosis to avoid going to therapy. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. To go along with that, Greg, I think that there's this melancholy at the end of this episode because that is the reality of somebody who that there won't be mm. like, oh, and now we can fix him or now there's an easy out. But there is this lovely moment where he reaches out and holds her hand as they're transporting. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the glimpse of what perhaps their future will look like yeah. is that perhaps there will be more outward showing of the, the kinds of emotions that right. he has been holding, you know, that, that there will be good emotion that comes with, that as well as the bad. Especially because O'Brien just fused their hands together. Well, that is also true. That is also true. <laughs> Do you think Beverly yeah. and uh, Jean-Luc had a little touching moment after this scene? Because she Did they smash? She did seem very mm -hmm. like, I got you, baby. Yeah. There during that moment. Um, yeah, she was there for him. She was there for him. I don't think that leads to smashing. No, I don't know, but it, I, but but I think it, it I think it leads to future smashing. Um, uh, it's a it's a smash setup. Yeah. <laughs> kinetic energy, potential kinetic energy. Potential, that's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. But he probably did say, "Are we going to smash?" That's part of his fever dream. He's like, "I don't know." That's Sarek talking. <laughs> well, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, right? he comes out of the craziness. <laughs> 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 We see Sarek and Riker walking down to the transporter or to the negotiating room, and we don't get much there. And we don't see any of the negotiation, but we do get a lovely little thing where Sarek is dropping number one. He does it two or three times, so it's obvious that there's that. That's the Picard part of his consciousness being brought forward. How much of that stays with him for those last few years of his life? This human inside of him who's the captain of a ship and then we end in the transporter room again this is another little nugget in the episode where the writers didn't know where they were going because Sarek alludes to you know we probably won't ever see each other again and of course they do because Sarek comes to the Enterprise and that's where he dies uh, in season five unification uh, and when Spock comes back so we know that Spock didn't die as we was sort of alluded to in his madness when he speaks of Spock in past tense. So Spock is alive. As Kate had brought up where Sarah reaches out and holds hand. And as, you know, Eric alluded to, they refuse together because can you break the beam? <laughs> <laughs> or so either you can, you can, it moves with you. Or once again, O'Brien has done some uh, transporter magic and saved a life here. <laughs> on his little dials. So what about this ending? What do you guys think? I mean, I think it's interesting just as you mentioned, Jimmy, that they don't show the negotiations at all. They don't really show the aliens at all that they're going to be uh, negotiating with. 
and that's 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 not important. What important was what important was how the uh, enterprise dealt with this uh, with this crisis and and uh, made that happen. So I loved it. I loved that in some ways the transporter room was the book ending of this episode mm. uh, as we get like yeah. and it felt yeah, yeah. very much like a uh, a good way to close the book here. I needed one more check in with Wesley to see. If his cheek still hurts. <laughs> Holding his face. What happened on his date, too? Oh, yeah. What do you think, Kate? What's your canon? What happened? Well, my canon is that he, when when he says, like, she wanted to go to, what is it, the arcade or something? Like, the Arboretum. The, the, uh, oh, Arboretum. The Arboretum. I'm sure that's where she wanted to go. Uh, he totally smashed. That's what they were doing during that concert. <gasps> He's not a weirgen anymore? A weirgen. In a in a Jeffrey's tube. There. <laughs> that's, nice. that's why Beverly was pissed. She's like, you weren't at the concert because you were out You were in the Jeffrey's tube right. all night. You think I don't know, but I know what smashing smells like. <laughs> <laughs> no. And our cabin was stanky. Stop it. Stop it, Jimmy. Stop it. Greg... <laughs> Final thoughts in this episode and what do you read? I am going to give this episode 35 Donnie Brascos. Forget about it. Um, it's a good it's a good episode. I'm gonna go with uh yeah, I think seven. I think I'm gonna go with seven uh Donnie Brascos for this because it is a solid canon episode, great performances by both the guest stars as well as the main cast, we mentioned how Picard has this wonderful acting moment and you can't be discounted. It's so great. It's so great that it actually ends up in Star Trek Acid Party as well because it is a basic fever dream come to life uh, and fits that video perfectly. It's it's a shorter, truncated version. It's not the entire thing, but it is very entertaining. And of course, as a fan of the original series and those movies in particular during the 80s, having Sarek come back and Mark Leonard play this role so well, but also a little bit differently than we'd ever seen him before being uh tinged by these emotions was super uh, exciting for me back you know then when i watched it for the first time and now i do think it is a little bit clunky in parts as far as plot goes i wish they had explored a little bit more about the relationships between him and his wife as well as uh him and his son i know from reading a little bit of the back story around the production they were nervous to bring up specific details about Spock because of the canonness that would immediately be jumped on by all Star Trek fans. And I just wish they had kind of embraced that a little bit more as well as show how this experience changed Sarek a little bit more. I do I do acknowledge the point of like the, the handholding does actually add a little bit more than I had thought, but it is a sweet moment. Um, but uh, yeah, that's my only criticism for it. It was a great solid episode. All right, Eric, what do you think? I'm giving it seven and a half neglected John H. Francis as science officer credits. The dude was pivotal in his fight with O'Brien. And we're going to talk about how the fact that he was in Yellowbeard and to be or not to be and <laughs> various other credits that I won't go all the way through. I'm sorry. Mr. Francis, that I left you out in talking about the fantastic guest stars in this wonderful episode. So seven, John H. Francis neglected credits as the science officer who goes toe-to-toe with Miles O'Brien. Longest rating ever. Yeah. Kate. I'm going to give this eight and a half screamed illogicals <laughs> in a row. Yeah, I and, and it's mostly for the masterclass that is those two scenes, right? The scene between Sarek and Picard and then and then Picard's turn. I just, I remember Picard's this. Picard's turn. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Don't try to tell me where to go. My name is Picard. <laughs> oh, that's brain on my brain. Never mind. <laughs> All right, Mark Cashman. <laughs> There's just something that has stuck with me from this episode through the years. And I think it is just that amazing ability that Patrick Stewart has to change his emotions on a dime. So, uh, yeah, I give it extra points for that. I agree. I'm going with eight and a half Bev sna- uh, slaps. <laughs> eight and a half Bev Beverly snap slaps, <laughs> putting down old Wesley. And for the exact same reason that Kate did, it's really the two scenes back to back with Sarek and Picard. It's like acting porn almost. Like you're just, the rest of the stuff didn't matter. It's just a, it's just a vehicle to get you to those two moments where you can see some really crystal clear, brilliant acting. And the rest of it is just fluff, holding the other stuff up. 
And that's fine when the two things you're holding up are that fantastic. So eight and a half for me. Uh, you should definitely watch it just so you can see what great acting is. It's hot as hell here in Seattle. I'm drinking a bunch of water uh, and I'm going to go wet my pants because it'll cool me mm. down. That hot urine is going to cool you down. You're going to leave to wet your <laughs> pants? Yeah. Oh, no, hold on. <laughs> I don't understand. As long as you're leaving, go get in the, go get in the toilet. We appreciate you for voyaging with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at Re-Engage TNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge crew on all of the social medias, Kate Yeager is Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by me, Greg Tito. Logo artwork by MojoJojo97. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now as Dr. Beverly Crusher is ready 